Thank you, sir. With your due permission. Shakti means power. Shakti is the innate power in reality. It manifests as the power to be conscious, the power to feel ecstasy, the power of will or desire, the power to know, and the power to act. Even if we can be aware of our own awareness for only a moment, in that moment, we will touch the primal awareness at the core of our own self. A very good evening to everyone present here for this virtual session on Shakti, the energy that works in the universe. The session is being organized by Prestige Institute of Management and Research, the proud wing of Prestige Education Foundation, in association with Sri Aurobindo Society, Indore Branch. Prestige Group is extremely proud and humbled to take forward the enriching legacy created by our exemplary leader, our father figure, and founder chairman, Padmashri, Dr. Erin Jansa. With his kind and generous blessings, Prestige Group has embarked upon a new milestone by accomplishing 25 glorious years in the year 2019. On behalf of Prestige Group, I, Dr. Pallavi Kapuria, take immense pleasure in extending a hearty welcome to each one of you to this live online session on Shakti, the energy that works in the universe. We are extremely honored and privileged to have the benign presence of Dr. Alok Pandey as our distinguished guest for the session. We also have the kind presence of Dr. Suman Kocha, the chairperson, Sri Aurobindo Society, MP, and Indore chapter. Didi is also the core group member of Sri Aurobindo Society, Punducherry. We feel grateful to have your gracious presence. I also extend a very warm welcome to all the respected panelists and the delegates. Taking the session forward, I would like to take this opportunity to introduce our esteemed speaker for the day, Dr. Alok Pandey. Dr. Alok Pandey is a seeker on the path of internal yoga. I, a psychiatrist by profession, Sir is MD Psychiatry from the Armed Force Medical College, Pune, a premier medical institute of India, acknowledged as a center of excellence for quality education and research. In the past, Dr. Pandey has served as associate professor in psychiatry at Institute of Space and Aviation Medicine, Bangalore, from the year 1993 to 1995. Sir has also been associate professor in psychiatry at Pondicherry Institute of Medical Sciences, Pondicherry, from the year 2007 till the year 2010. Sir has retired at the rank of wing commander from the Indian Air Force. Being a philosopher by temperament, he raised several issues and sought answers to these both within and without. But neither the prevalent scientific and current intellectual notions nor the traditional religions and conventional spiritual belief could satisfy his quest or resolve deep existential issues regarding life, death, karma, rebirth, suffering and pain, and most of all, the goal of human journey. It is only when he came in touch with Sri Aurobindo and the mother that he found these issues evidently answered and the th trust of his soul more than quenched by the 
vast vision and cool refreshing springs of Sri Aurobindo's work and revelations. He is presently associated with Sri Aurobindo International Institute of Integral Health and Research, Pondicherry, an institution which is dedicated to the work and vision of Sri Aurobindo in the field of health. An editor of NAMA since its initiation in the year 1993, Dr. Pandey has also authored books like Death, Dying and Beyond, Patient at the Crossroad, Vedas of the Body. Sir has also been actively contributing enriching articles in various journals, conducting workshops in India and abroad on yoga, education, health and psychology. So we, tr we feel truly gratified by the presence of you, who is such a versatile personality and a contributor to a worldwide spiritual movement. On behalf of Prestige Group and Sri Aurobindo Society Indore Chapter, I feel deeply honored to extend a heartfelt welcome to you, sir. May I request you to kindly enlighten all of us present here with your profound wisdom. Over to you, sir. Namaste. One of the most stupendous discoveries of this century has been that behind all these seemingly separate objects hanging somehow in space and moving in time, there is a web of energy which connects them all in ways beyond our reckoning. If we just look at this wonderful material universe drifting in space, billions and billions of light years and still extending, we don't know where, in what dimension they are extending. It is enough to make our mind wonder whether, not only whether we are alone in the universe or whether matter is the only reality. So this discovery of the energy which is behind all these material objects is a wonderful discovery. And few things which we have discovered about it is very, uh, very interesting. One is that it cannot be created and it cannot be destroyed. Second is this energy can be changed from one form to another. Third, it is this which is the builder of forms. And most importantly, that it has three formulations, which uh, just now it was mentioned by Dr. Pallavi. Uh, but basically it is the Jnana Shakti, the energy to know, the desire Shakti, the Iksha Shakti, the energy which impels to move and the Kriya Shakti, the actual movement, the energy which makes things move. So what we look, when we look at this universe, material universe, what we discover is the Kriya Shakti, the energy which is moving countless objects. I mean, we just look at our sun, there are billions of, millions of suns which are more powerful than our own sun. Can we imagine that? So this is the energy which has gone into motion, all these planetary motions, galactic motion, all kinds of motion. And then there is another energy, something which is impelling them. We don't even know this. And in Indian system, we didn't stop with this uh, first formulation of energy that we encounter, the material energy. And they went inside and discovered what is this energy which is impelling all these kinds of motions. And that is called as the energy of desire, the Iksha Shakti, that which is impelling all things. Now the word desire has several connotations, but not going into that. But essentially it is the prana, the breath, as it is said in one of the Upanishads, that matter is Brahman, but prana is also Brahman, that which is impelling it and making it move. 
But then this is not enough. What is causing it to impel? Is there a knowledge behind it, a wisdom behind it? Or is it just a blind mechanical impulsion? So the Indian yogis, scientists, if you like to call them, spiritual scientists, they went deeper. Because this was a quest of truth. Not simply discovering the first formulations and getting into applications. <laughs> People often ask, why didn't they make internet? Why didn't they make this? They may or may not have. But the point was, they were so much enthused by this idea that there is this energy. Where does it come from? They were busy finding the source. Because when we discover the source, we don't have to have these outer things. Our whole being, our very body is a transmitter and receiver of energy. So they were keen on making this very body become a receiver and transmitter of energy rather than relying on just external gadgets. We can come to that a little later. Not that there is any harm in having external gadgets, but look at the direction it, they took. Then going beyond the pranic energy, which is the energy of desire, moving all things, they went further and discovered the jnana shakti, the energy which in the mind has thought, awareness, which is uh, looking at all things. Now, in jnana, the energy is as if becoming slowly absorbed back towards its source. It's observing things. It is separating from that. And secretly, it is filling idea forces through which this creation is moving. And when we look at just these, uh, just these three formulations, which we are aware of, uh, everyone is aware of. Look at the material universe. If we look at it in a small section, we may just wonder random events chance, all bhasha of ignorance, we don't know what is really impelling it, so we use this word. But look at the galaxies, look at the atoms and we will wonder, we will say, oh my God, there is a rhythm in it. Everything in creation, it's a dance, it's not that energy just flowing somehow in space randomly. It's a dance, even bodily activities are constantly in a state of dance. From morning till night, uh, day to evening we can see how our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, our impulses and even the bodily activities, they go through a rhythm. There is a rhythm in everything. Some people know this rhythm. They try to catch this rhythm, tune to this rhythm. But some go out of tune with this rhythm. But there is a cosmic dance which this energy is dancing. And dancing around home. So she has a partner and that partner is the Ishwara, the Purusha, this self-awareness with whom she is dancing. And this dance has two steps. One is when she is completely absorbed, blissfully in union with the Purusha. The dance is as if led to a union of rapture, the Ardhanarishwara, where the divine and his Shakti, the word divine is used now because when we go beyond mind, we enter a realm where we increasingly encounter, like even in mind we encounter thoughts, different thoughts. But there is a state where thoughts change into ideas. Let's take an example. The same idea can express itself in very different ways. In one, it will make a Buddha. In another, it will make, uh, you know, a Lao Tse. The same idea, same truth, which is expressing in completely diverse and different ways, manifesting itself. And then when we go beyond idea, we reach that state of oneness. The one, like the sun, shedding countless rays, millions of rays. So they discovered that beyond the mind energy, there is another level where energy is completely absorbed into its source. Like within the sun, that splendor of fire and heat and light. But there is the poise where it starts releasing itself and then the cosmos is created. Now, we know about the material energy. 
little bit. And we know how, you know, we talk about a little bit hydraulic systems, uh, energy from air. Can we imagine that how much energy is that? Our prana, just the act of breathing. How much energy is going into this cosmos? In, the, in digestion, in simple everyday life activities, we have no clue. And when we go into the mind realms, what is this energy of thought? Constantly we are wasting in speech or gossip or all kinds of things. And if this energy could be conserved... What we could do in this creation. So they conserved this energy. They discovered that beyond prana there is another dimension of energy where it, it becomes mind. Mind energy. And then going beyond mind they discovered that one truth from where these many many forms, many forms of thoughts, activities, many forms of desires, many kinds of feelings arises, countless waves. And then going beyond this vijnana, they discovered a state when this, there is a complete union of this energy in its source and that is Ananda. When, when, uh, and another very interesting aspect apart from the dance, when we look at this from the purely material perspective, we think it's a me mechanical material energy. Now, it's a strange paradox that meets our eye. On one side, we think it is mechanical material energy, but when we look at cosmos, it's like a painting. And every day it is such a, what an artist like, every day I rejoice on, you know, the morning sun, when there is sunrise against the neutral background of the sky, such wonderful colors and no two days, no two moments probably there are the same colors. It just changes what it, I mean, there is an explanation of the how, but just let us look at this wonder, no two leaves will be the same. No two patterns, fingerprints will be the same. No two pebbles will be the same. What a creativity it lavishes upon creation. And when we look at it from that point of view, we, we get a feeling, intuitive feeling or a faith that this is not just the doings of a mechanical material energy which is randomly moving and drifting in space. And the biggest challenge is to explain then that how this mechanical material energy has created man out of dust and man who begins to question his own existence. So the yogis went further in search of the source that no, we are not satisfied just by observing this material energy. We want to know where it came from and going backward, backward, backward. They went further, further down and they discovered that its source is where it is in complete union with its own source. It is absorbed within. They use the word Parabrahman. And then from the Parabrahman is a state when it's completely in the hush and the silence. There is no expression, no manifestation. Like an artist who holds back all the creative ideas within himself. That state. When the artist doesn't even know what he is going to create. You know, all artists, writers, um, they know about it that, you know, they... If you ask them, they are taking a break, they are relaxing. Ask them, what are, what, what, what are you planning next? We have not thought about it. And then suddenly there is an idea. And then they brood upon the idea. And then there is the expression. Something very similar takes place in all creation. There is a state of consciousness in which this energy is completely absorbed. And it's conscious, it's... It's Shakti. That's why if there was no consciousness at all in this energy, nothing could ever become conscious. But if we are half conscious with a possibility of becoming fully conscious, means at the origin there this energy, this force is completely conscious. If it seems unconscious in stone and plants or half conscious in animals and 
human beings it is only because it has chosen to become so it holds back itself and just lets a little bit of it escape much like when we wake up in sleep we are in a half conscious state or much like a phd professor who has to teach uh, you know children in kindergarten he is not going to rattle out that look you know you know e equals to mc square he won't do that he will say e equals to elephant or maybe better things we can you know imagine we have to sick and tired of hearing all this equals to elephant we could use the word elegant at least you know it it has something deeper <laughs> so but he will what is he doing he knows e equals to mc square but he has held back that entire uh, vast truth and he knows that one day this child can understand the code that decipher the sense of it so similarly material universe and the material energy is its first formulation when it meets the eye not first formulation from the point of view of creation from the point of view of creation we have seen that it is absorbed inside then there is an idea then it broods over the idea what what we call as the egg is being formed today by the way navratri so today is the day of kushmanda devi so who is kushmanda devi if you see the sequence so first step is when it is completely in matter shaila putri matter hard rock she awakens and then she is brahmacharini now she is gathering up and becoming like a pointed um this whole energy becoming more and more concentrated the entire tantra is there the kundalini yoga and then she is chandraganta it is in the mind she manifest as the waxing and waning of the moon so the light comes and goes and then today kushmanda so that because of that intense heat the tapas instead of throwing away the energy which we normally do driven by nature and its uh, impulsions we just live life very mechanically running from pillar to post uh, from work home and we give let very little time to trying to discover the very source from where we have come which i think should be our first quest if you know everything else we may know books information technology everything we don't know who we are the only question that we need to really ask ourselves so these were the questions these uh, seers asked and fortunately they didn't have books so because you know <laughs> <laughs> books answer so much that they take away the quest and all kinds of books with all kinds of answers now we have not only books we have computers so for everything there is google except who am i this try typing and see what results fantastic results will come so <laughs> so <laughs> maybe i don't know i have not tried invalid question or whatever so this when we conserve this energy and let it flow around one object then that ushma that energy that heat it it becomes like an egg and like you know a chick is forming inside the egg a new birth is shaping itself and then it is released as kartike she becomes kandamata now this is the process of this same energy metal energy if we learn to conserve it if we look at the entire process that yogi is underwent and it's a whole science yoga is not just you know doing uthak baithak and you know upside down postures and you know the yoga is about turning this energy and lifting it towards its source because it must find its ultimate possibility if it doesn't find its ultimate possibility then we have lived half a life it's like a person who has lots of money in his bank uh well because his parents have bequeathed him a huge unaccountable sum but when it comes to spending it he's like a miser why i don't know where i have lost the 
checkbook. I don't know. I didn't transfer it into my name. Why? Well, I one day walked out. I said, I am myself. My dad is myself, himself. This sense of separation from the origin, which we feel so proud about. This false individuality. There is a true individuality. And there is a false individuality. The false individuality asserts itself as being completely separate from the cosmos and creation and the divine origin. I am a law unto myself. It, it's false because it's not based on the truth of existence. Even material science tells us we are all interconnected. That's why it is said through yagna this creation was made. Yagna means that everything comes into the fire from very, very different quarters. And then after the yagna, it's uplifted to the gods, means higher and higher levels. And then the prasadam comes and everybody shares the prasad. You can't say that I gave 5,000 rupees, so I deserve a bigger packet. Maybe I don't know whether this is done or not done, but it should not be done. The prasad comes, everybody takes it because it's meant for all. That's how the prasadam comes. So this is where we have this process which has been so beautifully described in, in the tantric literature. Because we normally when we talk about spirituality, we only talk about Vedanta. There are a lot of lectures on Vedanta. You have the Vedas, you have all about the three Vedas and then the Upanishads. Everybody knows. Very few people speak about Tantra, which is about the dance of energy. That's what is so important because Vedanta will ultimately take us to that point where energy is self-absorbed into the silence. But we will not understand creation. To understand creation, we must understand this energy, not only understand it mentally, but become one with the very highest source. Here, what we experience of that highest energy is a very diminished formulation. And that is called Prakriti. So Prakriti, again we see all the three aspects. We may use the word potential, kinetic and the energy of equilibrium. We may use the word Kriya Shakti, Iksha Shakti, Jnana Shakti. But here also we see the same triple formulation of energy as Prakriti. And we know that in Prakriti, this supreme source, the Para Prakriti, the original Shakti, has taken a triple formulation. What are the triple formulation? The energy of rest, Tamas. Energy of rest is a state in which the whole system, the whole energy is gradually withdrawing inside and the material object becomes like shower. Every day we experience this. Some energy is active because that's how we are living. If it completely withdrew, the body will become absolutely like a shower. And in that state of tamas, on one side, it is required to allow certain kind of rest because our human system cannot hold the play of Tremendous energy all the time. That's why there is a need of rest. On the other side, if you give it only rest and no dance and no play, as they say, all work and no play make Jack a dull boy. So here what happens, all rest and no work make Jack a sick boy. So, you know, uh, don't look for that proverb. It's nowhere to be seen, just uh, spontaneous. <laughs> but what, it, what, it, what happens if we are constantly in a state of tamas? It's like I don't need this energy. So this energy is being disintegrated. It goes into the creation. That's why people who all the time are in a state of tamas, tamas of thought. We don't want to think afresh. We are happy just with the information that is dished out to us from WhatsApp. Then what happens that because we are letting our minds enter into tamas, we begin to lose the ability to think. And this is a big challenge in educational institutions. Whether we should just feed them information or whether we should teach them to acquire knowledge. They are very two very different things. Feeding information is I put from outside, then after a 
time, mind tends to receive everything passively, like from the television. What is the problem with television? This is one of the problems. That everything I am, there is no dynamic interaction. So whenever people watch a program, discuss with them so that now, you know, the mind has to understand that what really it has observed. Not that don't watch television, but what have you understood? Now the mind will start playing. But if we just let the mind go into a passive state, then first it will become rigid, conservative, and in the end it will lack original thinking, it lack creativity, it become a copycat, and after some time the energy will disintegrate. Because mind is in a state of tamas. Though tamas is actually more characteristically the energy which is in, built in matter. In matter, the first, the tendency is to stay at rest. Unless there is an impulsion, it won't move. But then, the mind can also enter into a state of tamas, where it refuses to think, whether it, where it refuses to act. Then, the second, the same tamas can go into life. So, how does it go? Oh, I live my life routinely. Every day from morning, as they say, Mullah ki daud majjit So, you know, every day we have a little bit Same mechanical, whatever we have picked up from home From our childhood There is nothing new, nothing creative Even our feelings Out of habit, if we really look at our life Prakriti has tied us into fixed formulations We like to think and feel and do What everybody else likes to think and feel and do so I was very happy when, you know, I think last year, ma'am had met me and, uh, you know, they want to do something different. I said, this is something so wonderful. Same old story keeps on. So this energy enters into a tamas mode and after a while it becomes routine, mechanical. It can continue in a routine way or eventually it will start disintegrating because that's the principle of life. If it doesn't evolve, it will go down. We can either progress or we can start going down. This, this, there is no third way. So this is the second energy which is the energy of movement. It comes in to liberate matter from complete tamas and that is called rajasic energy. Now rajasic energy can be of two kinds. One is which is turned towards tamas. It basically does that much that one can get enough rest, retirement plan, what is called as the bourgeois ideal. Very prevalent in India at some point of time, thankfully it is going. When I am 60, I would have retired, I will have enough bank balance and then I will... Go to an ashram. People sometimes write. Somebody wrote to Shurabindu once. Sir, I am now retired man. My family is settled. My children are all settled. Now I want to come to the ashram to get some peace. <laughs> Shurabindu with his characteristic humor told him this is the time to apply to the graveyard and not to the ashram. <laughs> People don't realize the word ashram comes from shram. It's a tremendous labor, much greater labor. We are grappling with unseen enemies. Nobody is outside an enemy. Enemies within ego, desire and it's a much greater labor to wrestle with forces of lust and anger and fear and all these things. I'm not saying that every ashram person is doing it, but this is what is meant. This is supposed to be done. And wherever somebody is doing it, that house is an ashram. Wherever somebody is engaged in this tremendous, stupendous labor, to let this first formulation, to get us released from this first formulation of the triple energy, which is moving us mechanically. Like, you know, some, someone has said so interestingly, uh, even our mind, look at it mechanically, thoughts, running currents. And if sometimes we suddenly ask ourselves, Acha, what, what were you thinking? Or we ask uh, someone else. So, one is uh, taken aback. What was I thinking? 
because they are going mechanically. Now, this is what is called in yoga as slavery, bondage. Whom are we slave to and who is slave? The true self is slave to nature. But nature is not the beginning and end. This nature itself carries within itself the key to liberate the true self. And so we see that this energy goes up current and changes into sattva. In sattva, which is a principle of equilibrium, of light, we begin to seek. This is something unique about human beings. Human beings are not characterized as social animals. I don't know whether we still teach it in books or not. It's a most shocking statement that I have ever read as a child, that man is a social animal. No, man is not a social animal. He is social, but he is not an animal. He is a divine extending in countless forms. That's the way we understand society, samaj. Where we understand that everything, we are all born equal, samaj. And this all is not just we human beings. Animals, plants, bird, beast, stone, material universe, everything is born from one single source, aj. We are born of that one source. The day we understand it, then we start really being social in the true sense. Not mohalle ke logon se and you know, the, or out of personal interest we meet people and you know we are looking for common interest. That's not what is uh, idea of society in, in Indian terms. Samaj. So when we learn and understand that yes, all of us are born equally from that one truth. That essence is in all of us. So this sattvic mind begins to think like that. It begins to try to understand. It doesn't. When a child begins to question, that's the time he is ready for knowledge. In a class, if a child is only doing homework constantly and comes back next day, yes, teacher ji, I finished my project. Probably a dull child. But a child who raises questions that, well, this is how it is written, but I don't think so. Maybe he will raise a funny question, but encourage this questioning mind. Because man is known by his quest, his manu, the thinker. He must think, he must recover the ability to think originally. Look at our thinkers, Kain Upanishad, when I read, I am surprised. The first question is, uh, I mean, as a psychiatrist, uh, whole psychiatric book, psychology book doesn't raise this question. Forget about answer. And what is the question? What impels thought to go to its mark? I have shared it with some friends. They don't even understand what is the question. <laughs> what is impel the thought to reach to its mark? I don't know. Mechanically it comes, goes. I don't know. I am not the master of my thought. Thoughts come because neuronal activity is there. But yoga teaches us we can become master of our thoughts. So we can conserve even this energy. So now in sattvic mind, this energy is beginning to turn upward in an aspiration to discover its own source. So within nature, we can swim down current. Within nature, we can swim up current. And a point comes when we have swam up current and now we are beginning to take our head out of this Vaitarni. You know, after death they say that one has to go through Vaitarni, the dark river. <laughs> so... Patal Ganga, now we are beginning to emerge out of the Ganga head. Where am I? Then you suddenly out of water. Where am I? Oh, this is all water. Water is what? World forces. But what am I? Who am I? Where am I? Where is? What is this cosmos? What is this creation? And so we swim further up. So then we discover that between this triple formulation of energy known as Prakriti, there is another, the great Heavenly lady sitting at the doorsteps asking us questions. 
She says, you want to go to the source? Not so easily. And she is Maya. She is the one who has created multiple objects. Maya comes from the word Mata, Ma, Matra, Measure. She has measured out the infinite. So she asks a very simple question, but the nuttiest of all questions, who are you? You want to go beyond? You want to know the source? Who are you? Madam, I am doctor so and so. Go back. Disqualified. Madam, I have lots and lots of money. Sorry. That wealth doesn't work here. There is another wealth which may work, but you don't seem to carry that. Madam, see, I come from this lineage. You know, my father was a great yogi. Doesn't matter. Who are you? Ma'am, he was a very recognized man. Padam Shri, Padma Vibhushan and Bharat Ratna. That's okay. My child, who are you? And the day we say, not because we have read in the book, it doesn't work. <laughs> she knows not the word, but what is in the heart. When you say, Mother, I am your child. Don't you recognize your child? Mahamaya? We fall down at her feet. We see in Savitri, Ashwapati with all his boundless mind, when he is face to face with the world mother, what does he say? He fell down at her feet, unconscious prone. Mother, I am your child. And then she says, what do you want? You want mastery of all the three worlds? All the energies? Or you want to go still beyond? And if we say we want to go still beyond, we have to refuse this. And then she lets us go beyond. And what what did the yogis discover beyond? They discovered Brahman, the imperishable, impersonal, vast universality, that static, stable poise on which this energy dance is taking place. First time we realize that this dance is not in void, but there is a stable basis. It's the unseen, formless, immutable basis of this creation. On Shiva's breast stays the eternal dance. That's the image. Now you see it's very interesting. Now as we draw closer, something happens. The closer we go to the origin, the more there is stillness and peace. The more there is order and rhythm and harmony because that's the origin of the dance. Then the further we go, this is not the end, but at least you know just to understand. And the further this energy moves from the source, it begins to become wild, chaotic, violent. Gauri, when she is sitting with Shiva, is Parvati, the benevolent, beneficent mother. When she plunges far away, either into the assembly of Daksh, where she sacrifices a body, or into this dark material universe, she becomes Kali, the wild, reckless dance, where she destroys and destroys, because it's worth destroying. She's destroying out of love. She's liberating, so that a greater formulation can come. So, this has a lot of practical implication. This is not theory or philosophy. Whenever we meet a person who is becoming very restless, very um, inside trouble, people come to me, you know, with that state. They don't use the word, but they are feeling stifled, like a prison. They are getting very angry, very violent, aggressive. Means what? They moved far away from their true self. Further this energy goes, the more troubled and disorderly it will become. They will create chaos in the world. But what is the way to realign, to get back to the true self? And if they get back to the true self, there are various processes, more than process, the urge, 
there are various ways of awakening that urge, then spontaneously the order will begin to come. So there are two levels basically. One is where the energy is dancing in a very rhythmic manner. They are the gods, the luminous sphere, where everything is in a state of order, harmony, balance. And the other which is dark, asuric world, sunless, gloom, where the energy is becoming more and more turbulent, more and more restless, more and more aggressive. The same energy, they are not two. Gauri and Kali are two forms of the same truth. And we have to go th- experience both. Asura and Deva, they are two sides of one great reality. So then we begin to enter into Brahman. But there are some. In Brahman there is complete stillness. Some are very happy with that peace. They say at last we have found that home of rest, the breast of Shiva. Let the dance cease and the dance can cease for them. But there are others who are not satisfied. Why did the dance begin? This answer is not there at the level of Brahman and Maya. We understand that Maya must have emerged out of Brahman. This is pure logically one can understand it and not you know, superimposed. All the potentiality of the dance must be there within Brahman and Maya is an emergence out of that. But why it all started and then we go one step further and we discover that that which at our level is Purusha and Prakriti with Purusha completely submerged in Prakriti and trying to get liberated is Brahman and Maya at a cosmic level and going beyond the cosmos in the transcendent we discover the same as Ishwara and Shakti where they are one. Perfect understanding, knowledge and will. What does it mean? It means that in that highest plane, what Shurabindu used the word supermind, supermind and beyond. Knowledge and will are one. There is no dissonance. Jnana Shakti and Iksha Shakti has become will. It's the original impulsion is will. Iksha becomes its lower formulation. If we don't let our consciousness, our energy flow into desire, we learn to gather it, it will become will, very powerful will. And that's why people who practice this kind of inner renunciation, tyaga, not sannyas. Sannyas is a show, but inner tyaga. Then the will can become so powerful that what they will, that's why we see these rishis. Whatever they said happened, even if the curse it turned out to be a blessing, but it happened because they had gathered that tremendous energy. So there is the second aspect of it that this energy we can just throw out and out and out. Mind energy constantly chatting, WhatsApp, phone, everything else. If nothing else we are chatting with God knows somebody or the other. Life energy thrown in desires morning till evening and physical energy thrown out in various activities. Or the same energy we can conserve. When we throw it out outwardly we are like a pawn. In the game of nature. Nature is playing with us. And we think we are playing with nature. But we are actually slaves. We think I am free. Oh I think for myself. But we are not thinking for myself. Nature is pushing the mind and we are thinking. So this is how. And then we, when we go higher and higher. Knowledge and will begin to become one. Now they are divided. Everybody says new year resolution. Everybody knows last for maybe till new year evening. Knowledge is there, what I should do and should not do. But the will doesn't work out. Why? Because it's far moved from the true self. The jnana tells us what we should do. But the kriya and the iksha doesn't, you know, as they say, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. 
so we have to unite them again this union of purusha and prakriti ishwara and shakti is symbolized in shiva and uh, shivalingam where we see the shiva and the yoni parvati coming together the material nature when it is completely one perfectly aligned to the divine self then we will have upon earth a wonderful material creation we'll have a divine life in divine body where what the spirit sees that the body will create what the spirit knows that we will speak what the spirit wills that we will do and what the spirit is that this body will become a luminous transparent mantle of the divine shakti which is dancing in creation so it's a very vast subject i've just touched upon some of the uh, points and uh, its practical implication i just want to close with a poem of shirbindo then we can have questions so that we have some time for that the cosmic dance this is a poem by shirbindo dance of krishna dance of kali so there are two measures of the dance one is in the eternal vrindavan above so there the dance is perfect multiplicity dancing with oneness everybody is dancing but at the core there is the same one krishna and there is perfect rhythm so that dance is full of ananda but here even in a house everybody is dancing to their own tune and we don't even have to go to house even within our own being mind is dancing in one tune heart is singing another tune desire is singing some other cacophony and the body is saying i am confused what do you want me to do so at the end there is complete disorder and the result is that doctors grow richer why because diseases the problem is disharmony inside that's because the dance right now which is going on is the dance of kali and krishna because we have turned this world by dissociating ourselves from our own truth we have turned it into a battlefield it should not be it should be a field of the leela of the lord a, a delightful play it should become but instead of the delightful play it has become what it has become two measures are there of the cosmic dance always we hear the tread of kali's feet all these asteroids striking with each other galaxies and drifting and things you know bursting out earthquakes violent upheavals mr corona and all these fellows all this measures of kali's dance she comes to destroy why she destroys so that new creation can come destruction is a hasty pace of new creation he saw in night the eternal shadowy veil savitri's lines in destruction felt creation's hasty pace as and hell as a shortcut to heaven's gate so this is when you know kali becomes impatient swift footed she doesn't like so much delay she wants that the divine creation should manifest so she destroys whatever is not ready after she is destroyed then we see parvati doing the last year after the tandav there is lasya lasya is the new creation now we see both there is the tandava going on but there is also the lasya which is going on simultaneously and this webinar this kind of approach is all an indication of a new creation which uh, we are feeling inside that something new should be there we have we are not satisfied with just the old way of understanding things so this is the lasya which is still behind but because kali's dance is visible so much dust and rubble is roused <laughs> but uh, the last is taking place quietly 
right behind it measuring in rhythms of pain and grief and chance so what happens when kali jumps into the fray uh, again out of deep love but too intense love so she destroys the forms of ego so that the true self can be liberated but the ego self feels pain life's game of hazard terrible and sweet the ordeal of the veiled initiate the veiled initiate is the divine self within us the soul the hero soul at play with death's embrace this is what we are here for wrestler in the dread gymnasium of fate and sacrifice a lonely path to grace this must change but for that we must align with the true self if we move further away then we will have kali stance the closer we go to the true self within an individual in a nation nations also have a nation soul a national energy and within the world the closer we'll see that the whole journey becomes smoother man's sorrows made a key to the mysteries truths narrow road out of times wastes of dream the souls seven doors from matter's tomb to rise we know this you know all the seven chakras through which it rises the kundalini from kartike it goes to katyayani the world hero and then it goes to kalaratri she destroys everything and then mahagauri after that darkness which destroys the old creation now there is the fair new creation which was waiting behind to emerge and then there is the siddhi it cannot be based on the ego so siddhi dhatri the ultimate goddess where we see that there is a perfect union of this energy which was submerged in matter with the supreme purusha that's what she is searching for the soul seven doors from matter's tomb to rise what a language matter's tomb we are living but we are already entombed living in a grave of the body living body are the common motives of a tragic theme but when shall krishna's dance through nature move his mask of sweetness laughter rapture love this world was not made for pain and sorrow and suffering this world is made of delight its substance is of delight it's meant for delight ananda siputraha but it has turned into sorrow and suffering because we have moved away in our dance nature has moved far away and we have moved with nature's impulsion right into the nether abyss now we must take the recovery process navratri is that only all this puja and all is outer thing but the real puja is raise this material energy and lift it back to its source let it unite with the lord who is seated above us become one and within him is also the supreme shakti let us be driven by the divine shakti and not with this desire and mental thought but purely by the breath of the divine mother and all life will grow beautiful because she is satyamayi chaitanyamayi anandamayi parame namaste absolutely spellbound sir we just felt we reached a absolutely a different divine world altogether thank you for sharing your profound wisdom with all of us sir i see a lot of questions uh, yeah uh, with your due permission uh, may i put across the questions to you sir yes please continue shots sure. uh, so we have a question from uh, krishan uh, sethi he wants to know why have you been using the term or word for conscious 
force mahashakti as maya in your talk maya has another connotation in our ancient indian thought so maya means to measure out and there is two forms of maya one is avidyamayi maya and the other is vidyamayi maya so avidyamayi maya is when she veils the oneness and we are experiencing everything as separate entities but behind the avidyamayi maya there is the vidyamayi maya who is conscious of the one conscious of the oneness and this vidyamayi maya leads us further to the shakti so i am not using them as synonymous in fact i said at the level of brahman you have maya you experience that energy as maya lower down you experience as it's prakriti and if we go beyond maya if we have still the earth most of us stop at brahman then we will discover her as shakti so these are the triple formulations prakriti maya shakti purusha submerged in prakriti brahman freed from prakriti and discovery of the maya which is you know creating this universe and ishwara the lord who is the you know the master of you know who is one with shakti at an individual level we experience it psychologically in three ways first state when the purusha in us the soul in us is anish not ish that's what it means and the second when it becomes sakshi witness to its acts and third when it becomes ish so the same thing which applies at a cosmic level applies at an individual level so maya and shakti are not synonymous i don't think i have used that word anywhere like that so they are different terms they won't be synonymous obviously otherwise <laughs> there is no need for two terms so maya is maya shakti is shakti but maya can be turned towards separativeness ignorance when it becomes avidyamayi it's the story of sati and parvati sati is avidyamayi she moves away from despite shiva telling her don't go she goes sita becomes avidyamayi when she does not listen to rama and steps out but it is her play the same she is herself shakti but she becomes avidyamayi for the sake of work it is one power there are no two powers one power becomes avidyamayi into ignorance now i have not gone into why this happened because that is a whole subject in itself why the involution the veiling took place and the same power when it turns towards oneness discovers her lord it becomes vidyamayi so vidya and avidya it's a question of experiencing ignorance and separativeness or experiencing oneness so when we experience separativeness and ignorance then it is avidya when we experience oneness and the one behind these multiple experiences even now it is there if we look at as i said every leaf is different but plant is one plants and trees are different but the species is one species are different the genus is one and go on you will discover that there is oneness but it is hidden behind so always behind avidya there is vidya standing otherwise cosmos could not be but it is hidden in world that's how we say that out of matter life emerges why because life is hidden inside so but when we discover right now we are driven by avidya sense of ignorance and separativeness because we live on the surfaces but the day we discover that we have a common oneness then we have we are ready for its higher formulation this is the lower formulation needed for our growth because as i said i gave an example that in kindergarten you don't teach e equals to mc square you teach e equals to elegant so that's the difference thank you so much sir uh, 
So we have next question from Mr. Um, Nakul Chauhan. Um, he wants to know uh, why does the approval from people important to us? Why is the approval of people important to us? Uh, it should not be. If we are seeking approval of people, that means we are only confirming um, our own false identity. See, when we discover who we are and why we are here, then why should we need approval? You see, that is a beautiful story about Shiva. The entire cosmos, Daksha and everybody, they refuse him. And that's why Shiva is majestic and mighty. Shiva never sought approval of Daksha. And yet Shiva is Shiva. Daksha's whole yagna is destroyed. So we should be like that. We should be able to stand on who we are, what we are. And one of the first steps towards self-discovery is stop giving importance to what people say. Because then we'll become a football. Somebody will say one thing, you know, they, as a child I had read the story of Kallu and Gadha. I don't know whether we have read it. Do you remember the story as a child? So... Kallu and his father are going with a donkey on the street. And they are walking. So some people say, oh, how foolish they are. Look, there is a donkey and they are walking. So they hear it, they say, yes, he's right. So what does he do? <laughs> his father says, beta, you sit on the donkey, at least it doesn't look proper. So he sits on the donkey. Somebody says, oh, look at this boy. He is sitting while the old man is walking. So he says, yes, 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 they are quite right. So he gets down and makes his dad sit on the donkey. So after some time they say, look what kind of father he is. Paternal instinct is to make, you know, way for your child. But he is enjoying the donkey and letting his son do the hard task. Again he gets down and says, what do we do now? So they decided to carry the donkey because this is what they had not done. So they tie the donkey's both feet and they carry the donkey and thinking that we are doing now a great work. And everybody was laughing, thinking what a fool they are, that there is a donkey who can walk and they are carrying the donkey. So when we are driven by people's opinion, then we just become like Kallu and his master. <laughs> Let's discover uh, our own truth, our own self, and uh, people are what they are. I am not saying they are good or bad. You see, they have their own eyes to see. Unki nazar, uh, this I am sharing two lines from one of the Ghazals long back as a, in MBBS time I used to write maybe a little before that. So two lines I remember. Kar ki just badlu Unki nazar, unki nazar, meri nazar, meri nazar. Just because I want companion, should I change my goals? No. They have their own vision. Let them go towards wherever they are going. I must live by my vision. And this is the age when children are developing this individuality. That's why they are rebelling. It's, it's, it's a phase and we must encourage it. So we should not be driven by people's opinion. First step towards spirituality. Okay. Yes. Very well explained, sir. Thank you so much. Uh, we have another question from uh, Shelly Shukla. Uh, he, first of all, is given a compliment uh, on the way how beautifully you've explained Devi uh, the Sati story and Krishna's uh, story. Uh, now we would like to know, uh, he's read a book of yoga during his school days and he read that there are three stages of life in uh, which is told as dharma, dhyan and samadhi. And he would like uh, you to kindly share your wisdom on this uh, particular aspect. Yes, so you see in terms of schools of yoga, dharma, dhyana and samadhi, actually it is dhyana, dharana, samadhi, patanjali, yoga sutra speaks about it. And basically the essence is 
that most of us are involved in Kriya. Now there are different formulations of the truth. But I am just using this formulation. It's not that this is the only way to approach. But touching the essence. So what really is Dharma? Dharma is to live our life but on the foundation of truth. That's what Dharma is. The truth is the foundation. That which Dharan karta hai. Dharma is nothing to do with religion. Dharma is Dhra, Dharan, Dhuri. What holds us? Dharti, Dharana. Everything which is related to that truth which holds. So in Indian thought, they discovered this truth which holds is the truth of one essence in everything. And that one is, is a triple formulation. Was in, one is in everything and everything is, is in the one and it is the one which has become everything. So this should be at the foundation and based on that we lead our actions. That means there is we, we have our separate life and our own separate achievements but these achievements cannot be done at the expense of sacrificing this fundamental truth that there is the one. There is nothing like a separate gratification in this universe. If we do that we are doing a dharma because it is not based on a foundational principle. The foundation is there is one and oneness. So I am allowed my separate individual uh, you know achievements but not at the expense of this core truth others have a right to live if we want to put it uh, you know uh, outwardly but now when we lead a life of dharma then what happens we are focused even in everyday life on this one truth unwittingly unknowingly unconsciously but still we are focused when we do that a time comes when we are ready for dhyana what is dhyana when our mind dhyana is a mental process when our mind begins to run over some essential truths, fundamental truths and explores it in many ways. What is life? When somebody is contemplating, he is actually doing dhyana. It's a meditation. Why am I here? What am I here to do? It's dhyana. Dhyana is not just sitting in a posture and thinking about hundred countless things. That is not dhyana. Dhyana is about living life like that. Then this dhyana potentiates further and becomes dharana. Where I hold on to one, I want to discover that. And I hold on to, let's say, the divine, the idea of the divine. And when I concentrate upon that idea, or one of the great verses of the Upanishad, the Gita, Savitri, now we have, then it becomes dharna, image of the divine mother. Now when we hold, dharna is hold. Then what happens? By holding our consciousness, concentration, awareness on one object, we pass beyond this object into the truth that it represents. Now we can do it even with a human being, even with a stone. You go to Kedarnath, what is there? It is stone. The scientist would say it is stone. But the devotee would say, no, it's not stone. It is Shiva who has become stone. Now what is the difference? The devotee has gone all the way with this complete dharna that I am not going for a stone darshan. I am going to see Shiva. When he goes there with this idea, when he is face to face with that stone, he discovers God. But the scientist goes with, let me see what kind of stone it is. So he comes back saying, oh, it's a nice stone. But people are fools. They are seeing Shiva into it. So when we do dharna, then even we can pass beyond stones. See, that's why in Indian thought, uh, in Indian culture, we have, you know, worship of uh, tree and river and sun and moon and <laughs> stone and mountain. Name it and you have it. Why? Because we understand that God is hidden inside everything. And by concentrating, taking up any image... And going deep into it to discover it, any activity. I often give this example, love. Go to its core, you will discover divine love. Doesn't matter whom you are loving, it can be a dog. 
and he can take us to god this words of the gita he sees dog and all as equal it's a very meaningful words not just that you know he sees all of them as equal sama lost kanchana you can discover through anything the truth because truth is one the source is in everything but we must not be bewildered by appearances that's why it's easier to discover inside because when we meet others and try to discover god in them very soon we will say oh he is no good but inside at least we have a good image of ourselves and we go inside it's much easier but this is what is dharna what does where does dharna lead to it leads to the source that is called moksha moksha is not about not coming and uh, you know stopping birth and rebirth that's a misunderstanding moksha is freedom from ignorance what is ignorance that everything is separate 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 what is moksha to be freed from this sense of separativeness and to discover the one self within everyone if i discover within me i'll discover it is in all universal self now what is the advantage of that things like unity brotherhood all of them become so spontaneous true love harmony we don't have to work toward that positive thoughts because constantly we are living in the sense of the one in everything so this discovery has tremendous practical importance all right so this is in nutshell but this is not the only way there are hundreds of ways one book of yoga would put it like that there are other books of yoga which will put it in a very different way thank you so much sir uh, yes we have one more question uh, from dr dipti bajpayee uh, she says krishna is worshiped in many forms how do these forms manifest in terms of experience for humans which forms you can take up any form behind all the forms there is formless but the thing is that whatever angle of approach there may be the experience of the infinite reality will be like that let me explain with an example supposing i have an idea of the divine that he is you know a judge some people have this idea he is busy only with punishing and rewarding he is not by the way okay he has other good business to do but if you have this idea punish dard karenge reward denge now when i take any form it could be the form of rama it could be the form as i said of any object any guru any human being and we enter because our basic faith is that the divine is like this we will end up seeing that aspect of the cosmic justice but equally when we worship through a form uh, see every form in typical tantra there is also the prana pratishtha you have to awaken the devi Uh, but even without that supposing we go to durga let's take this example because we are having durga puja and uh, all this now now when we are worshiping durga durga has so many aspects she is wisdom incarnate she is love incarnate embodiment of love she is strength incarnate durga is the radiant splendor she is beauty incarnate the most beautiful form ever born now if we meditate upon durga normally we meditate upon her as mahisasur mardini so we are worshiping the strength aspects but we can also discover in durga the beauty incarnate and we'll discover the beauty the the knowledge that helps us to cross uh, through the path so basically each of the forms are basically some aspect of the other of the divine that's why we have so many gods each god is an aspect of the divine now based upon my readiness my evolution my predilection temperament because god loves multiplicity and uh, you know many foldedness i approach a form with this idea and i will discover that aspect 
in the divine. But the divine is infinite. He is not limited. He is not limited only to justice or love or strength or knowledge. He is beyond all of that. But based on my predilection, I will discover the one divine, the one infinite, depending upon the faith with which I am worshipping a form. So faith is the most important aspect in worship. If the faith is it is stone, after 20 years we will say, we are doing So it's most important to have the right faith. Shraddha. Uh, So we'll have one last question. Uh, Although there are a lot of questions and we'll try to uh, send the questions across to you uh, which can uh, be answered and then shared with the public. We'll definitely do that. Please send me through email. I'll be very happy to. Sure. Definitely, sir. So uh, the last question uh, for the session is uh, by Mr. Manoj Sharma. He wants to know what does it mean when Sri Aurobindo refers the mother as the magnet of our difficult ascent. Okay, so this is the line from Savitri, the magnet of our difficult ascent. Uh, Adoration of the Divine Mother, it's a wonderful passage. So the question is, what does Sri mean by saying that she is the magnet of our difficult ascent? So it's a wonderful uh, image. Uh, Image means it's a truth but given in the form of an image. So what does the magnet do? Magnet exerts a force, even if you have the iron filing far away. It is already exerting a force. It will not immediately go, but it is exerting a force. You know, you can see the lines of forces extending right up to that little iron. Magnet recognizes the iron and it starts pulling it towards itself. And the closer you go, the more it exerts a pull till a time comes when it just sucks it. So it's not just human effort. More important than the human effort is the grace, that love. That's how the passage starts. A burning love from wide spiritual founts and all the sorrow of the ignorant depths. Suffering was lost in her immortal smile. A life from beyond grew conqueror here of death. So here the magnet is that all, now look at it psychologically, all that we seek in life, in any, any relationship or anywhere in the world, Love, perfect love, perfect understanding, wisdom, strength. These are the common seeking, knowledge. Where do we find all this? Now the divine is an embodiment of these. Not just a personification. He is an embodiment of these qualities. That's why we are seeking. So indirectly we are seeking it. So initially she is drawing us indirectly. She is still the magnet. But she is hidden in the heart. So we don't know. We are carried away. Oh, this person will give me perfect understanding, perfect knowledge. And then this person goes second. But she is the one. The common element is the same. So in this entire creation, she is the one who is pulling creation upward. As a magnet pulls the iron. And a time comes when suddenly the, the iron comes very close to the magnet. And says, oh, here is the pull. And then it leaves everything behind and rushes and becomes one. But of course, something else also Sri says in the mother. This line is from Savitri. Not only she pulls us from above. She descends here. Because if the magnet is very far, it will take a long time. So she enters into this lower creation and facilitates this attraction towards the Supreme. Meaning thereby it is not only that we are seeking God. God is seeking us. It's a marvelous truth. He who chooses the infinite has been chosen by the infinite. God is seeking us. So he takes a human body. Now when she takes a human body, the word magnet assumes a very new dimension. 
in the persona of the avatar when the divine mother comes takes a human body savitri the context in which the question is asked is the story of the divine mother all the experience of the divine mother who has been here lived for 50 years in shirbindo ashram pondicherry and you know was born in francis her story so she embodied that magnet which is very difficult for uh, us creatures to feel though it is exerting a pull but we are too thick heavy iron so she comes here comes close to us so that immediately we are pulled so the moment we are pulled to her physical embodiment automatically through that gate we pass into the beyond much more easily to facilitate our being pulled towards that ultimate mystery she takes a human birth that's why that line closes with all nature dumbly calls to her alone to heal with her feet the aching throb of life and kindle and break the seals on the dim soul of man and kindle her fire in the closed heart of things so she enters and puts her feet upon nature and by doing so she brings that magnet or rather embodies that magnet in a human body and makes it far more easier for us to go there so this is the difference in the divine embodiment and the divine who is there in the ultimate source even there he is exerting a pull but we don't so you know krishna is always playing the flute but you know to really hear it inside the heart is a huge work but when he comes and dances with gop and gopi you hear the flute and the magic and are drawn to him so something same applies to the avatar so she is the magnet to be focused on her is to discover the ultimate mystery she holds the secret i mean the magnet of our difficult ascent the sun from which we kindle all our suns want to have knowledge touch her be one with her then because that is the original knowledge original truth the sun from which we kindle all our suns the light that leans from the unrealized vasts the joy that beckons from the impossible the might of all that never yet came down and then of course the great assurance all here shall be one day her sweetness is home all contraries prepare her harmony towards her our knowledge climbs again see the magnet towards her our knowledge climbs our passion grows in her miraculous rapture we shall dwell her clasp shall turn to ecstasy our pain our self shall be one self with all through her thank you so i think we can just pause here